You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. Hi, my name is Brandon, and you're about to listen to a sermon exhortation from Redemption City Church. Now, regardless of who's communicating on today's message, the one ask that we have for you is that you would test all things by the Word of God, holding fast to what is true. That comes out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. Now, if you are not a part of our local church, this is important. Please lean in. We hope and we pray that this sermon today would be a supplement and not a substitute for you leaning into your local church as your primary place where you're being edified. We believe that the Bible describes and prescribes loudly that the best way for us to grow deeper in our relationship with Jesus is to be around other believers in the context of consistent community. That is so important for your life. So without any further ado, I do pray that today's uh, message would be convicting and challenging and ultimately encouraging for your soul and your walk. Grace and peace. Oh man, let's activate that privileged position today, folks. Let's go. If you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do, let's open to the book of Jonah, chapter one, verse one, and we're going to be all up in this text in just a little bit. As we continue forward in our Jonah series, I just want to remind you that this series is going to be all about discovering and seeing God's compassion for us and, and our opportunity to, to join him in it. And today, I want to remind you that the aim, the faith aim of this Jonah series is going to be that we would lay down a firm foundation that the Old Testament and the stories in it that often seem outlandish and distant and totally removed from our culture, right, are actually altogether practical and, and relevant and infinitely important for our lives as Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christians. And, and the book of Jonah specifically has been revealed to us by God, for God, and, and for our joy in, or, in order that we might avoid the dangers and the trappings, right, of, of what happens when we sometimes have an angry and a hostile heart towards God and those whom he deems he wants to offer redemption to and rescue. And therefore, our aim in this series is going to be able to learn how to have quick obedience instead of delayed obedience, which is actually truly disobedience as our aim transformationally, right, um, throughout the remainder of this series. Now, now, last week in part two of our Jonah series titled God's Costly Response to Our Costly Rebellion, we had segment A of that conversation, and we learned that we have absolutely no shot, right? I mean, no shot at the Christian life if we don't reconcile and really land the plane on the fact that God is a really, really good father. We learn that when we are distressed or we get off track, God addresses us as his beloved children and says things to us like, man, what can I do for you as your, as your heavenly father? Like, how can I alleviate and teach you and move you out of these burdens that you're carrying? You really need, Brandon, or whatever your name is, to 
to, to really walk in the opposite direction of, of that behavior. Folks, that's what we learn the energy and the disposition is of our God that we serve. We learn that when we are consumed and ashamed of our sin and our shame and, and maybe faulty decisions that we make, and, and we believe the only way that we can work through it and get through it is to punish ourselves and to punish ourselves and to punish ourselves, our God speaks up loudly throughout the text of Scripture, and he, and he says things to us like, Really? Really? You, you really think it's going to be up to you how you choose to punish yourself? Like, no, like, aren't you aware that I pay the costly price already for you? And I want to move you into, into a new story. I, I already took care of the costly part is what God's saying. And I, and I did it through my son, my son, Jesus. And so your part now is going to be to be radically obedient. And, and that's done primarily through, through trusting me radically with with your decisions and actions. And so we learned that if we choose to take that path, though, of, of rebellion and to do things our own way and do things that we want, we want, we want, that are contrary and, and not of God, folks, our lives are going to be so stormy all the time. And we saw that, right, um, last week as we walked the text of, of Jonah. We learned that, like Jonah, though, we, we are all going to make some really big decisions in, in the near and in the coming future. It's, it's just a fact. And, and we, when we train ourselves to make little micro decisions that are right and true and, and good and full of submission and full of character and full of a genuine desire to please, please, please the Lord. The, the results are that when we are faced with heavy temptation down the way or perhaps a clear calling from God or, or we have like a maybe a fork in the road and we have a very serious decision to make, we're going to have what we need because of all those habits of making the right micro decisions to make a beautiful beautiful macro decision that leads to a beautiful destination, right? We learned that. We learned that though we have the freedom of choice, just like Jonah did, we most definitely don't have the freedom of the consequences that come with those choices, right? And, and Jonah didn't either. And we learned that because of that, God is asking you and he's asking me for us not to be the type of people that go around trying to demand our own way all the time. Instead, we looked at J James, which is Jesus' little brother, who says, don't do it that way. Instead, say, if the Lord wills, I'm going to do this and that. And if the Lord says no, I'm, I'm going to be submitted. We learned three things that rebellion's not, right? We learned that rebellion, it's not when you're generally ignorant and you just don't know. And, and perhaps you're doing the wrong thing that's contrary to God because, because you didn't know. It's, it's not when you're genuinely ignorant. We learned that rebellion is not when you're genuinely exhausted, right? That's, that's not what rebellion is. We learned that rebellion is also not when you're just genuinely petrified and afraid. But we can't camped out on the fact that these rebellions, that uh, the um, genuine ignorance or, or genuine exhaustion or genuine fear, when they're left unchecked, right, they quickly can turn into rebellion. And so we need to work on those things and, and be submitted in those areas as well. And finally, we learned that rebellion is, it's a direct and intentional move in the opposite direction of what God is calling us to do primarily, folks. And, and that brings us to today, praise Christ, to part three of our series titled God's Costly Response to Our Costly Rebellion. And today, we're going to be looking at segment B of this conversation. And, and just like last week, today's going to be all about us dealing with this concept of rebellion in a real, real way. It's going to be about hearing God's word, yet how we often choose to do our own thing and, and the consequences 
influences, folks, that, that come with that. It's going to be about exploring how we make our own choices, right? And how we have to deal, though. We have to deal with some things that, that come with it. It's going to be about understanding that God's love is sufficient and it's efficient and it's proficient and that it always wins out, praise Christ, every single time. And folks, the main question today is still going to be when? When are we going to tap out to doing things our own way and let God, the Lord, have his way in our lives? Because we are trying to learn what it means to walk with the Lord and just to let God be God. And I'm hoping that throughout this Jonah series that, that this helps you to do that more and more in your life. Because when we allow ourselves to be the creation and him to be the creator that he is, when we remember that we're the creature, the created thing, and that he is the creator, it's at that point that we start to experience all those daily wins that our God is experiencing as he, as he allows us to join him to join him in it. And remember, this all started in the Garden of Eden, right? We talked about that when Satan came up and asked Eve if, if she was having a really good time. And, and remember, we, we, we camped out on this. I explained it, and Eve, she kind of replied and was like, of course I am. I'm having the time of my life. God has given me everything I could ever possibly need. And, and what Eve was saying in that moment, folks, it was dead right. It was true. But, but you see, Satan challenged Eve, and he deceived her to, to believe that there was fun and there was pleasure that she was missing out on, right? And so Satan activated, remember, that highly effective FOMO nuclear warhead on Eve that still is taking millions, folks, millions and millions of people out to this very day. And, and sadly, right, we, we know what happened in Genesis. We talked about that last week. Eve, unfortunately, believed him, and, and that resulted in her engaging in costly, costly rebellion. And Adam joined her in that costly, costly rebellion, and she, they both partook in something that God considered, folks. He considered it forbidden. And, and last week, right, this, we talked about that this was the same exact thing that we struggle with today. This is not just a Genesis story. We're in that story too. Like Satan is constantly throwing fiery darts of accusations and empty promises and atomic FOMOs our way. He is constantly running his mouth and saying that if we just did this and, and, and if we just added this one thing, it would maximize our fun. It would maximize our pleasure. And, and underneath this scheme is Satan's insidious proclamation that God does not make life awesome, folks. Instead, God makes life horrible. You remember when we talked about that? Okay, so, so in today's sermon, I want to continue piercing, right, into those dark trappings with the defensive, light-filled belt of truth from Scripture that is this. The word of the Lord and the commands of the Lord are not burdensome. But folks, lean into this disobedience in doing things our way and the long way and the hard way and the belly of the well way. Folks, we've been talking about that. That's, that's what's incredibly burdensome. Okay, so today the only question left is, what will you believe about that? Like, like what are you going to believe about what Satan has to say and, and, and what about what God has to say? And ultimately, what are you going to do about, about those tension points? Like, like what decisions are you going to make at the macro level of your life? Like the, like the big and meaningful and life-changing type of things that, that you got to decide upon. And, and what decisions are you going to make at the micro, small, seemingly insignificant level that, that ultimately are, are infinitely important as well? Like, are you going to trust the Lord tonight? 
in that situation that you know is coming up or, or that relationship tomorrow that you know you got to navigate? Like, because remember, each day, every day, we're going to be uh, presented with little micro-opportunities Little micro opportunities to, to be rebellious or tap out and to, and to follow Jesus. And, and those little spirit-filled decisions are going to be critical. What are you going to choose? Is it going to be obedience or is it going to be costly rebellion? Okay, okay, so, so uh, we need to do this. Let's, let's read God's Word now, you amazing student learners. And we're going to read the whole chapter 1 again. We're going to see the whole thing in context, verses 1 through 17. And then we're going to pray and we're going to see all that God has for us as we kind of camp around and walk through the streets of chapter 1 even, even deeper today. Day and, and it's going to be legit, all right? So, so let's bow our heads and, and let's do this. I'm, I'm pumped. Here, here's the word of the Lord, uh, verse 1 of Jonah 1. And the word of the Lord said, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and, and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. Man, and we learned, right, that this that God was calling Jonah to do something, right? And there were three directives there. He was to rise out of a situation. He was he was to go in obedience and faithfulness, and he was and he was to call out. Verse three says, But but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And we learned about that, right? That was a costly, costly mistake. He he went down to Joppa and, and that was a mistake. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. That's the wrong direction from Nineveh. That was a mistake. And and the verse continues on and says, so he paid the fare, and that was a costly mistake, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away, folks, away from the presence of the Lord. Okay, remember verse four, but the Lord, but the Lord, but the Lord, the Lord intervened, the Lord acted, he did something about what Jonah was doing. And so it says, verse four, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Okay, in verse five it says, then the mariners were afraid. And each cried out to his whole God. And we talked about that, right? They were calling out to the fingernail God and the sand God and the starfish God and the, and the moon God. And they're just calling out. They were freaking out because this was not a natural, this was not a natural storm. These, these boatsmen, these, these men who are very familiar with storms and, and sea and, and boat situations had never seen anything like this. And so, and so the verse goes on and, and this stormy story continues and says, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Like, oh my goodness, like, like while wow, all this is going down and, and these guys are, are, are dealing with the storm of their life and it's threatened to overtake their ship to the point of where life and death is, on the, is in the balance, right? We talked about that. They're losing hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of cargo that they can't repay. Our man Jonah's out here sleeping. He's sleeping the whole thing away, folks. In verse 6, it says, So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not 
perish. And, and they said to one another, come, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So, so they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And I told you, this was when all eyes were going to be squarely on our man, our man Jonah now. Okay, so, so let's see that in verse 8. Then they said to him, tell us, tell us, Jonah, whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And, and Jonah replied to them, right? Because they're like, dude, what did you do? You got us tripped up and trapped up. And, and he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I, and I fear the Lord, the God of the heaven, and, and, and who made the sea and the dry land. And, and remember, these men were like, what did you just say? Did you just say that your God is the God of the seas, and we're on the sea, and we're dealing with clearly a supernatural intervention type, not normal storm? Oh, man, verse 10, then the men were exceedingly afraid. You see that? They went from being afraid of the storm in the natural realm to exceedingly afraid of the storm from a, from a spiritual realm. And, and they said to him, what is this that you've done? For the men knew that Jonah, that's he, was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he, he had told them. Now, in verse 11, it says, then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Verse 12 says, he said to them, so, so they're like, what do we do? How do we, how do we deal with the situation? So here's Jonah's cowardly response. He says, and, and Jonah said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great temptest has come upon you. And we really looked at Jonah's heart there, right? Like if you weren't here last week, you definitely got to go back. We spent 40 minutes unpacking the gravity and the weight in what Jonah was saying. Okay, let's go to verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. And, and we talked about that, right? Like, like even after everything Jonah did, and we talked about the implications historically that like these guys got a lifetime sentence and, and their sons got a lifetime sentence trying to pay all this money back. Their lives were ruined. They could even be executed if, if they didn't pay this money back in a certain amount of time. But yet they still chose to respond to Jonah, even Jonah's request to kill them with probably a lot of bitterness in their heart in that moment. But yet they try to save him and themselves. Okay, verse 14 says, Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and, and lay not on us innocent blood. We don't want to do this. Like, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Verse 15, so, so they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from his raging. Verse 16, Then the men Feared the Lord exceedingly. Oh man, we talked about that. We kept out about that. The fruit, the fruit. God is always after the fruit, folks. And, and so right here, we're seeing that these men are making their steps towards tapping out, looking up, and linking in. Folks, they're making what we call the decision in Christ. Let, let, let me show you right here. Then the, the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. And we talked about contextually that vows mean they've made a commitment with their lives to the Lord. Verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for, for three days and for three nights. 
oh man, there's so much here. That's why we're going to cover it and deepen out about it today. Let's, let's open up and, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are about to jump into the Bible now. And what an amazing, amazing opportunity that, that we have right here and, and right now to hear directly from you about the categories of obedience and, and submission and rebellion and, and the freedom of choice and the consequences that come from them and, and perspective, Lord. Lord, we need perspective today. And I'm praying that you would give us perspective on who you are and therefore what that means for who we are in the lives that you've given us to live. And as we comb over chapter 1 deeper today, I pray that, that all, of, all of us, Lord, in our hearts would say, wow, our God really, really is a good, good Father. So, so, so Abba Father, tear down our walls today that make us callous and rebellious and hostile towards you. And, and may you replace it with a desirous spirit within each and every one of us to match you within the opportunities that, that we have to be filled with, with patience and, and compassion to those, Lord, even those that we may not naturally feel deserve it. And, and provide for me today, Lord, as the preacher, because I want to be clear and I want to be true and I want to be firm and I want to be gentle. But above all else, I want to glorify you, Lord, alone. So therefore, use me today. Use us today. Big, be big for us today. It's because of your beautiful, beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, okay, so, so here goes verse 1 and 2 that we're going to open up with. Again, let's, let's look at, at that intently. The word of the Lord says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Okay, folks, now let's just be honest. That is a pretty clear exhortation, isn't it? There, there's really nothing at all complicated about what God had to say. It was a very clear word from him telling Jonah to, to get up and to go to Nineveh because of their, of their wickedness. It was a clear word telling Jonah to inform the Ninevites of a specific message about their weakness and to know that despite their, wick, their wickedness, God is not wicked, and to basically cut it out, or there were going to be severe consequences, and to choose a better way. And, and though there was nothing at all, I mean, look at the verse right there. There was nothing at all confusing about this directive. Our man Jonah was acting like he was playing a game of Pictionary or, or Charades, and he didn't like the specific card that he had picked out of the deck. And, and we've all played Pictionary or Charades before, right? And you know how you get that one card that, that you really don't want to pick, and, but yet you picked it, and you pretend like you don't really know what the card is and what it says with the hopes that perhaps your group and, and the other group, more importantly, will let you off the hook so you can pick a different card to do. But, but in reality, you completely know exactly what's on on that card and you know what it means you just don't want to do it and and perhaps you you don't want to act it out for some reason or perhaps you think it's going to be too embarrassing what's on the card and and but whatever the reason is you're finding it too difficult and or perhaps you think it's going to take too long and your team's going to lose and you just want to get a new card as fast as you can so you can be in more control of the outcome that that you want right okay so so imagine jonah is is having a moment just like that with our god jonah is frustrated with the lord and he's saying lord 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 i want a new task i want a new task i want to pull a different card 
from this deck. I, I, don't, I don't really like this one. And, and God's like, what are you talking about, Jonah? There's, there's no deck of cards from you to choose from. This is the card that I've given you. Now arise, go, and call out about what I've asked you to do. And, and folks, I've talked to so many people throughout the years that, that when they read the scriptures, they always seem to find things and to focus on things that they don't understand, and, and they always want to talk about those things. You know what I mean? And, and it's incredible how quickly they glance over things and they dismiss things that they clearly do understand in Scripture that are, that are so simple, yet they remain not activated in their lives. And, and folks, I just want to say it again. The book of Jonah opens up in the first two verses, at least, we can agree upon, with no confusion. It was clear. It was a clear directive from, the, from, from God. And, and in your life today, there are real issues that God has revealed to you. And they're so clear through his word and, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's honestly no further discussion needed about the topic. It's crystal clear, and you know it, and I know it. But the reality is, we are largely rebellious by nature, and, and you and me specifically have areas where we're rebelling against that God's calling us to, and, and it's clear what he's asking us to do. And so, and so we, right, like you always want to change the subject, and we always want to alter the conversation, and, and we want to talk about the Greek words and the Hebrew words, and we want to talk about eschatology, and, and we want to talk about riddles and, and compare the Old Testament to the New Testament. But, but so often, our God is looking directly at us, and he's proclaiming in Scripture, how about you just love your neighbor well? Like, when are you going to do that? And, and, and how about you start forgiving all people like I've asked you to do? When are you going to do that clear directive? Hey, how about you just live and obey and act like my son Jesus? Can I be more clear about that? And remember, living and imitating Jesus as a Bible-believing Christian sets you up to be the happiest person in the whole world, praise Christ. And I'm not joking. I'm dead serious. And you really, really need to understand that today in a real way because God's heart for you is to be happy and joyful and serious about the things of God. Are you tracking with me? And Satan, like he's been doing since the beginning the whole time, he's still saying to us, Really? Do you really think happiness is in the will of God? Do you think God cares about your happiness? Like, like, don't you want to try a beautiful, beautiful array of my fruit selection that I have just around the corner in my food truck? Let's go continue this conversation over there. After all, great minds usually think better on a, on a full stomach and not, and not an empty one. Let me fill you up with my, my fruit selection. And we're so dumb and we respond all the time to Satan like, I don't know. Maybe. Like, can I get a two-for-one deal on that fruit around at, at your food truck? Like, yeah, I, I'll go with you around the corner into the dark to keep chatting with you. By the way, is God really mean? Is, is he really that unfamiliar with happiness? Now I'm not sure. But, but, but folks, let me make it clear to you today. God is not mean. God is not mean at all. He is most definitely, and he is definitely most familiar with happiness. God wants us to be so free and so full and so blessed as his people on this planet. And this leads to our first important takeaway so we can kind of frame all this and, and see what God has for us. It's, it's on your screen.
the path towards the beautiful destination of happy and joyful living is discovered and eventually achieved by finding obedience pleasurable and not seeing disobedience as reasonable. I'm going to say that again. The path towards the beautiful destination of happy and joyful living is discovered and and eventually achieved by finding obedience pleasurable and not seeing disobedience as reasonable. Okay, and there are two parts uh, or, or segments of that phrase that I really want to unpack today. So let's start with the first one. Namely, let's talk about finding obedience, folks about finding obedience pleasurable because it's so, so important. You see, one of the major aspects that we often are, that's often overlooked or underpreached about regarding the Christian faith is right there, folks, namely about finding obedience pleasurable. We just skip over just how important that discovery process is in our lives. It's, it's critical. So, so let me make this clear today because the discovery process and that journey literally is the most important part of a young believer's life as they mature and grow in Christ in healthy ways. Like like the book of Psalms is full of stories and accounts one after another and one after another of, of different people going through that very same discovery process. You should check it out in Psalms. Like they're, they're moving from what they perceived in that moment by them as weight and despair because of or in light of what God was commanding them to do to eventually a deep joy and gratitude and genuinely thankful heart regarding the same exact words and commands that God gave and they didn't change, but they didn't understand them at the heart and at the soul level. And, and you see that in the book of Psalms. They go from, from, from ripping and crying and saying, God, where are you? We don't understand, to rejoicing and understanding the God of the universe. And, and, when, we, and, w- excuse me, and when we in our lives are, are devoid of that discovery process, folks, deadly consequences are soon to follow because our faith and relationship with God Folks, it unfortunately becomes legalistic and and empty and boring and and oppressive and and eventually it leads leads to death. But remember, the commands of the Lord are not burdensome. They are not burdensome. And, And you really need to dedicate a full season to really camp out about that and to really study that intently in God's Word and to focus your heart and your mind to discover and then to accept, and then to experience a, and embody a transformed life that truly gets it from a heart level that, man, the commands of the Lord are not burdensome. Because when we move out of our story where the commands of the Lord do feel weighty and burdensome and, and oppressive into God's beautiful design and, and God's story where we now experience those same commands as, as life-giving and, and rich and amazing and, spec, uh, and spectacular, obedience at that point, folks, it becomes pleasurable. Let me say it to you again. When we move out of our story to the point where the commands of the Lord used to feel burdensome and oppressive into God's story, where we now experience the same words in God's precious Bible, now as life-giving, rich, valuable, amazing, and spectacular, obedience, that same word at that point, folks, 
it becomes pleasurable. Okay, so now let's briefly talk about that second part of the phrase that is also equally important, namely <laughs> not seeing disobedience as something that's reasonable because, folks, it just can't be. You see, it's so easy to rationalize away our disobedience as, uh, it's trivial. It's not, event it's not eventful. It's just a big bag of no big deal. Like, it's just a little micro thing. But it's not true. It's not true. Our disobedience is always infinitely important to our God. It's a life-changing situation. So, so when we decide to, uh, so when we decide to make what God finds unreasonable into the reasonable, we effectively remove that spirit-filled sting that God always meant for our hearts to experience when we're living contrary to Him. And and that spirit-filled sting in Scripture is called godly grief, folks, or in some translations godly sorrow and it is critically important part of our battle gear that we need in this christian war we need to feel that sting and that godly grief and that godly sorrow when we do things that god finds to be unreasonable so so let's look about let's look at this about this whole concept of godly grief and godly sorrow just for a moment in in the epistle pauline epistle in second corinthians chapter 7 verse 10 it's it's on your screen here's the word of the lord for godly grief, that's the spirit-filled sting, or sorrow, produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Okay, now, we don't have all day to really unpack this, right? But for the purpose of today's sermon, I want you to see right here what's going on in the text. Paul is making the claim, inspired by God, that when we experience godly grief and that, that spirit-filled sting of, man, I'm not right with the Lord because I'm doing something that's unreasonable to Him, when we feel that from our spirit-filled positions, it produces a repentance. A repentance means a change of our life away from doing the wrong thing and, and towards the righteousness of God. And, but here's the, here's the beauty, here's the fruit. When we do that, when that spirit-filled sting of godly grief and sorrow produces a repentant heart that says, I'm going to move away from the unreasonable back to what God finds reasonable, what does it produce? What does it lead to? Folks, it leads to salvation, praise God. And salvation is to be in a right relationship because of the blood-bought gift of Jesus where we dwell with him forever and ever and eternity where there's no more pain and there's no more sorrow, praise Christ. And, and I love this. I put it in caps for you. I'm going to put it back on the screen right now. Do you see what's in caps? Not only do we experience godly grief, not, not only do we experience the spirit-filled sting of sorrow, not only does it produce repentance when we find the unreasonable to be unreasonable, right? But it leads to salvation without regret, folks. Oh, man. See, that's the transformed mindset. It's not just doing it legalistically. It's doing it without regret, man. And, and Paul makes the claim after that, and he says, but, but when you do it with worldly grief, it produces death. Okay, like, can't you see? We weren't designed to find sin reasonable, Part of becoming, folks, a born-again Christian and tapping out to your old ways is to make a conscious effort in your life to return to finding sin. Unreasonable. Don't ever forget that. Because it's at that point of when you find sin truly unreasonable 
that you reactivate that spirit-filled sting. And we need it. And that's good news. That's good news because it leads us to that Romans chapter 12, verse 2, change of our mindsets. So I'm going now deeper under how it happens, right? So our mindsets change, and out of our minds changing, our hearts start to follow, and out of our, our hearts following, our, our actions follow, and we start to walk back into the righteousness of God folks. And that's a beautiful, a beautiful, beautiful direction. So I just want to say this again. It's not the confusing things in the Bible, right? That It's not the confusing things in the Bible, sorry, that the people of God, you and me, that we have the most trouble with. It's, it's the obvious things and it's the clear things. It's the things that are so clear and so plain in scripture that we struggle with the most. Like, but do you know why? Like, that doesn't make any sense, Pastor Brandon. Why would we struggle with what's most plain and most clear? Why? Because it's in those things that there's no gray area to hide behind. It's in those things that there's no discrepancy to get distracted with. All there is is God's plain and clear word and our rebellious behavior saying we don't care. And we're going to do our own thing. Now, you might be thinking, Pastor Brandon, I, I, I don't know about that. I don't know about any verse that where God is so plain and so clear and we're just rejecting it. Okay, I'm going to show you wise biblical exhortations from the Word of God that are plain and clear that the majority of Christians wrestle with and are rebellious with every single day. Okay, here we go. Here, here, here's the first one in Philippians chapter 2, verse 33. Paul says, inspired by God, do nothing. What does nothing mean in Greek? Nothing. Do nothing at all from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant, <laughs> more significant than yourself. Um no thank you, right? Pass. I, I have my own agenda is what we think. I have my own agenda. I got my own things to pursue. Maybe my family can fit into that category, um, but, but I don't know about that. No thank you. I'll pass, right? So, so here's a clear word from the Lord. Don't do anything selfishly, but be humble and count others as better than yourselves. But folks, is there any lack of clarity here? Yet, yet we're rebellious to this directive all the time. Here, here's the next one, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 22. Then Peter came up and said to him, namely Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. And essentially, if you understand contextually, what Jesus was saying is forgiveness is not something you count. It's a posture and a lifestyle that you do for the rest of your life. You should be constantly forgiving all people for all things every day of your life. And so, so we go, so, so basically, God, you're telling me that I got to forgive everyone all the time, everywhere, for every reason, no matter what? Um, no, thank you. Pass. I'm never going to forgive that person for what they did. You don't understand what they, what they did to me. Folks, this is a clear word from the Lord that we have a rebellious spirit to oftentimes in our lives, but I'm just getting warmed up. Here we go. Mark chapter nine, verse, verse 35. And he sat down and called the 12. This is Jesus again. And he said to them, if anyone would be first. He must be last of all 
and servant of the rich and servant of the beautiful and servant of no and servant of of all and so and so we go so so basically you're you're, you're saying that we got to serve all people like ahead and before myself um no thank you pass like like my coworker just told me the other day that i need to start prioritizing myself and my needs and my wants and my desires that that you know i should take that trip and i should get that new car no matter what my spouse thinks because because i deserve it and i need to start to value myself if other people aren't aren't valuing me but folks god's word is clear and he's saying hey if you want to follow me and if you want to be of my kingdom the first will be last and the last shall be first. So therefore become a servant of all. This, 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 it's clear here. It's, it's crystal clear. Here, here's, here's one more for you in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content. 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 Content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The implications are because I will never leave you nor forsake you. You can be content with what you have and you don't have to go around trying to be your own little boss, making everything happen for yourself. But we think, but I'm not content. So so that doesn't work for me. Um, No, thank you. Pass. It's like, can't you see so much? So much of the word of God is it's not confusing. It's not elusive and it's not complex. It's plain and it's simple. And it's direct. I'm going to say to you again, so much of the word of God is not confusing. It's not elusive. And it's not complex. It's plain. And it's simple. And it's radically direct. But we just don't like it. We don't like sometimes what God's telling us to do. We don't want to do the things that God calls us to do when he says, arise, go, and call out. And, and our man Jonah, let me tell you, he did not like what the Lord was commanding him either. And he didn't like, want to do what God was telling him to do and what God said was best for both him and the Ninevites. So, so Jonah ran as, as fast as he could and as far away as he could, seeking to be his own God, seeking to do things his own way. And, and today, right now, I want to introduce a, a, a new concept to RCC that I'm hoping and, and I've really been praying we, we really fall in love with here as a church community. And, and this is going to be a life-altering truth that I can just see. I just want us to, to really experience revival in as a church community. Okay, here it is. Here's this life-altering truth. It's, it's legit. Obeying the Lord isn't just the right thing to do. Obeying the Lord is a game changer that will make your life the highest of quality, the deepest of joy, the broadest of strength, and the clearest, folks, of vision. Because right now, right now, you, you probably are trying to take care of everything on your own in your life. Like, let's just be honest, we, we all fall into that trap sometimes, right? Like, we wake up each morning and, and we jump out of bed and we try to take care of everything, 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 everything. We try to take, make sure our, our money's right and our children are right and our, and our food is right and, and our bodies are right and our, and our health is right and our bills are right and, and so on and so forth. But, but God responds to us when he sees us walking like this and he goes, okay. I see that you are hell-bent on trying to take care of everything yourself. Cool, cool. Let's do that then. Let's, let's take care of everything. How, how about you do it this way? How about you start with my precepts 
and doing my commandments. Let's start with the little things, the, the micro things that I'm calling you to do in your life. And, and we often respond, we go, um, no, 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 Lord. I don't have time to be patient in the micro things right now with my spouse and to be nice. Like, like I have a lot of things to do today, God, and I don't really have time to pick up all this, this weight of the relational work of mending fences with that relationship that's kind of off track right now. I didn't budget that into my week, Jesus. I, I have way too much going on to tell other people about Jesus. Maybe, maybe, maybe next week. And, and so we just start to grind and grind and work and work and grind and grind and work and work. And we try to make everything look beautiful in our own eyes according to our own strength. But folks, I want you to know that you're not impressing God when you act like that. You're not impressing God with all your human effort in how you take care and you provide for your family and all these needs and that are around you. You're not impressing God because you take care of your career and you take care of your 401k. It's not his primary interest. His eyes aren't bulging out and his jaw's not dropping like a Looney Tune character. He's not amazed over those things. But, but here's what the Bible does actually say about impressing and amazing our God. When a man or a woman truly pleases the Lord through their obedience... Without delay, God is so impressed. I mean, he's so impressed that he even makes their enemies shut up and be at peace with them. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7. Oh, man, that is legit. So, so when God sees you and me doing the right thing, all of a sudden, everything just starts to fall into place in our lives. That, that's why I'm trying to tell you that obeying the Lord is more than just doing the right thing. Folks, it's an absolute game changer in your life. Okay, so, so if you truly want to, want to be awesome in your house and awesome in your marriage and awesome with your children and awesome in the workplace and, and, have, and be awesome in your health and awesome in your finances and awesome in the church, you just got, you got to start doing the little things that God's telling you to do. You got to have that micro obedience on a daily basis as he shows you according to his word. I'm dead serious. I'm not, I'm not kidding. Just try it. Repent today of your rebellious heart and say to the Lord, I'm, I'm going to really bring my rebellious spirit under control and under subjection of you. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me. Oh, man. And folks, when you do that, things will fall into their rightful place. Okay, now, now let me unpack the fact that obedience isn't just the right thing to do. I want to show you that obedience, it could be a game changer. Okay. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. You see, there was this one time that when Jesus got really hungry in the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 4. Do you, do you remember that story in, in chapter 4 when he was hungry? So, so Jesus tells his disciples that, that, that he's hungry, and so they all decide to go and go get him some food. And, and weirdly, all 12 of the disciples decided to all go at the same time to get the food. And, and seriously, this is it's a really weird story. Uh, I don't know why it took 12 grown men to go get the food at one time. That's a story for another day. But but anyways, and so so they all 12 of them go into town and, and they all went to go get some Big Macs and some fries and, and a strawberry milkshake for Jesus. And uh, But before they came back, Jesus was walking 
radically in the Father's will and extending himself to a promiscuous woman who was by the well. And he, was, and he knew that she didn't have the truth. And so Jesus proceeded to tell her the truth and started healing of her, of her sins and bringing her, folks, to the light. Okay, okay, so when the disciples came back with the Big Mac and the fry and the strawberry milkshake and they saw Jesus talking to the scandalous woman with great concern, they, they said amongst themselves, what is Jesus doing right now? I can't believe he's associating with this with this with this woman why is he why is he serving her but folks you see that was their theology and that was their systematic belief and that's how they processed it and 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 that was a similar theology and a system of belief in in processing that that Jonah had towards towards God's intentions to to help the Ninevites but but the reality is Jesus was doing God's will and he was doing it fully obediently and folks here's the key without delay unlike Jonah. And, and so when the disciples offered Jesus the, the burgers and the fries and the milkshakes, Jesus responded was like, hey guys, I'm actually not hungry anymore. I'm good. Thanks though. And, and the disciples, were, they were so confused and they were like, what do you mean you're not hungry? Before we left, you said you were super hungry. Like, like what's going on? And and then they started, you, you got to check the story out, it's crazy. And they started kind of arguing amongst themselves. Um, and, 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 and this is a true story. And they go like, who amongst you came back early and, and, fed, our, and fed, fed the Lord? Like, who slipped him a granola bar? We don't, we don't understand what's going on. What, what's up with that? And, and Jesus heard all the commotion, heard them kind of arguing, and he, and he calmly interjected, and he said something so simple, folks, yet, yet so profound. And Jesus said, Disciples, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. I'm not hungry anymore, especially for that kind of food. And and his disciples, they were getting even more confused. And they were like, wait, what? You're not hungry anymore? The will of the Father? I'm full now? Like, what's going on? And, and Jesus compassionately said back to them in return, well, here, here's the thing. I, I've been walking where God has called me to walk. And, and I did it fully. And I did it obediently. And I did it without delay. And, and, and when you obey the Lord, this is Jesus talking to the, to the disciples, and when you obey the Lord and, and you tap out and out of your rebellious ways and you stop listening to Satan, God will so sufficiently fill you up. And I'm filled up. That's why. And Jesus continued on. He said, the more you seek God like I did, the more full and satisfied you're going to be. But the more, the more you run away from God, and you fall into the snares of the enemy, the hungrier and the hungrier and the hungrier you're going, to become, you're going to become. And that leads to another important takeaway. It's, it's on your screen. As we mature in Christ and offer our lives as a living sacrifice to God by the way of glad obedience out of a deepened confidence of who He is, our hunger and our neediness steadily goes down season by season. We become more satisfied. Yet, when we listen to Satan and obey his lies and trust his empty promises, our hunger steadily grows and our universal needs increase and pervert season by season. We become emptier and require even more of whatever, folks, whatever is next, next in line. 
Oh man, so so today, what if you and me just started genuinely trying out this whole Jesus thing in the most purest form possible? Like, like what if you took a detour from the status quo of what everybody else is doing and, and you just start living and truly picking up God's game plan, folks, for your life? Because Jesus is proclaiming in the text that your belly, which is representative of your innermost person, will be full. It'll be full, full of God. And and you will find yourself overwhelmed with a strange sense of peace and satisfaction and completeness in a way where you don't have to run around with trying to look through it in drugs and women and men and sex and media and and materialism. And, And this new atmosphere, folks, Jesus wants you to know that it cannot be found or replicated or purchased in any other way than saying, yes, 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 Lord, I'm going to follow your ways. And I think, honestly, one of the most common stumbling blocks we wrestle with when understanding what God wants from us is we, we, we struggle with understanding why he's always so controlling all the time. I think that's the biggest struggle. Why does God have to control everything? Like, why does God have to have a a, a well and and a way and a law about everything and for everything? Like, just give us a break one time, God. I feel like that's the heart of so many, so many people, even Christians in the church. Okay, okay. Well, God does what he does, folks, because he wants you and me to be maximized in everything that we do, in everything. He literally wants you to be great and as satisfied and as successful as possible this side of heaven. So so when God asks you to do anything, and I mean anything, it's so that, listen, it's so that your life can be so set up to be blessed and it's so that your life can be maximized and he could be he could be glorified but but I really really want you to focus on your part in that little clause do you see it folks he actually wants you to win he actually cares for you he's about his glory yes but he's radically radically for your joy but but you and i we're just like jonah in the fact that we are often far too rebellious to really step into the waters of what god's trying to show us so we can experience that joy that he has for us because we we like the the little weight in our life over here and we we like this little sin in our life over there and we want to make this little compromise around the corner on that side and we don't really want to just give up our ways. And, and here is what I want you to radically, radically understand today. When you choose to do that, God tells us every time, okay, let's talk about the decision that you're making. It's going to cost you a well of a story, but, but let's talk about it. And he will speak to you and he will speak to me and he's going to seek after you and me your entire life if he needs to 
he won't relent. He'll urge you to give up whatever you're holding onto and exchange it for something so far superior, so better. And, and the words that he speaks and his effort to seek after you, all his desire in return, what he wants from you is just to trust him. That's what he wants in return from you. Folks, he wants us to really, really trust him to hand whatever we're holding on to over to him. Folks, he wants to be the solution to our problems. Isn't that good news? But the question is, will you let him? Let's, let's look at verse 2 again in, in Jonah chapter 1 because there's some more deep truth that I want us to see. Arise. This is what God said to Jonah. Arise. Go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. Okay, so we've, we've, we've made this clear, right? This, this is definitely a clear message, but, but it's an uncomfortable message. I want to acknowledge that. It is a clear message, but it's an uncomfortable message that God is calling Jonah to participate in. He's asking Jonah, just for context, I don't want to forget this. I don't want you to forget this. He's asking Jonah to directly stand up for something extremely difficult and, and complicated, and it's messy, and that's uncomfortable to Jonah. Remember, these Ninevites were murderers and abusers. They hurt, they were vile. They, they ruined and went through whole villages and murdered women and children. It's messy. It's difficult. Jonah's uncomfortable, folks. And I think that's where we often get stuck as well, right? In our lives when God calls us to do things like this. Like, it's not the things that God primarily asks us in Scripture. Are, it's not that they're, they're unclear or they're so, we're so aloof and we don't get it. It's that they make us so uncomfortable. And sometimes we disagree with it. And, and being uncomfortable, it doesn't feel good, right? Like, it doesn't feel good to be uncomfortable in the moment. It feels, it feels risky. It, it feels unsafe. And it feels dangerous. And it most definitely is not desirable all the time. But, but did you know there's something on the other side of that uncomfortability? Once you trust the Lord and you do what he says. I'm going to say this again. God promises us there's something on the other side of our uncomfortability when we risk our comfort to reach the people he's called us to do. There's something infinitely beautiful and incredibly life-giving just for you on the other side, RCC. But the only way you're going to experience those gifts is by walking straight through the uncomfortability obediently fully and without delay. And then you'll see and experience the beauty that God has set before you. Okay, so, so I want to ask you a question, and I want you to do your very best to, to answer it truthfully. Can we do that today? Just answer it truthfully. It's, it's on your screen. In a culture today where anything and everything is acceptable, and there's no absolute truths, how well do you, nobody else, you really stand up for what's right? That's, that's an important question. Write down your answer. How well do you do that? 
Like, like, do you stand up against your friends or your neighbors or your coworkers when necessary and tell them, hey, I'm sorry, that's, that's not right what you're doing. I can't stand with you in this. I can't stand for you in, in that, not without speaking up, but what my God has to say. Because folks, I'm going to be honest with you. If you have not done that before in your life, the chances are, very likely that you're probably doing something wrong in your disposition and in your allegiance to God. So, so let me be clear. God is asking you to have a non-judgmental, non-volatile stance filled with confidence and firmness armored up about the things that are wrong when they're brought to you. You ain't got to go sin sniffing all the time, but when it comes to you, you got to stand up and be confident and firm, non-judgmental, non-volatile. But you got to proclaim. You got to rise. You got to call out. And God asked Jonah very clearly to just cry out against the people and to tell them like it was and how it is and to let them know that what they're doing was unacceptable and it was wrong. God was calling Jonah to be vigilant. God was calling Jonah to be righteous, to have righteous indignation, Ephesians series, right? And, 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 he, and, and the prophet Jeremiah was asked by God to do the same thing. And, and, and John the baptizer was asked by God to do the same thing. And, and the apostles of old were asked by God to do the same thing. And Martin Luther King Jr. was asked by God to do the same thing. And Billy Graham was asked by God to do the same thing. And you and me have been asked by God to do the same thing. And, and Jesus Christ came as a light into the darkness, which, which was us, folks, humanity. We were the dark ones. And, and we didn't receive the light, John chapter 3, verse 16 through 23. And as a result, Jesus was murdered on his tour on earth, coming to bring light. So yes, yes, we live in a very comfortable culture that loves to say, I'm just going to make sure I play my cards right. I'm going to get my couple thousand followers, and I'm going to do everything I can do to avoid any enemies as much as possible. Okay, but be careful, Christian. Very careful. Because Jesus in Luke chapter 6, verse 46 says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false to the false prophets. Like, wow, folks, that's, that's, that's sobering. Be careful is what Jesus is saying. Because chances are, if you haven't made any enemies yet while living out your stance as a Christian, folks, that is a strong indication. You're probably doing the whole thing the whole thing wrong. And, and though our God called Jonah to cry out against Nineveh, I just want to remind you again that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because they were nasty and gnarly people because the chances are they were going to kill him and, and that's why he didn't want to go. His main thing is he didn't want to die. Nope. Remember we talked about that. That's not the main reason he didn't want to go. Do you remember? If it wasn't him being afraid, then do you remember why? Well, well, I, I, I'm still kind of not sure that's what was happening, Pastor Brian. I I'm pretty sure the way you describe the Ninevites, the greatest concern Jonah would have is, is losing his life. I want to show you in Jonah chapter 1, verse 12, that that's not true. Here it is. It's on, it's on your screen. Verse 12, he said to them, pick me up, hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. Wow. 
For I know it is because of me that this great temptus has come. So, so can you see this in the text? Jonah wasn't afraid of death. No, he had already volunteered for a group of men to kill him and to murder him. So, so death was no problemo for Mr. Jonah. Folks, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, right? Remember this? Because he was like the older brother in the prodigal son story. He didn't want to see God give someone that he deemed unforgivable another chance. Period. Okay, pay attention. You need to search your heart today. Right now, search your heart. When it comes to standing up for truth in this culture, where are you at? Because sometimes the reason that we don't want to stand up and and be the voice of reason and, and be the voice of truth is because we really don't want people around us to receive the grace and the mercy of God. we got to be honest about that. Oftentimes, we would rather see people die and be condemned and punished. We would rather die or be punished before we want to give, forgive people. We're just like Jonah, extremely self-righteous, far too often, and all high and mighty. And, and, and folks, I was talking to a young man right before this whole COVID pandemic started. This is a true story from another state. He doesn't live in Oregon. And he, and he felt this unfortunate reality in a really sad, sad way. You see, he was asked to leave a church right before COVID struck because they didn't like that he was sharing some stories about his past struggles and some present sins. Um, that, and, and the people in the Bible study were growing really, really uncomfortable hearing him share about it at different times. And, and I want you to know that it wasn't like the, the typical alcoholic past or the typical form of sexual promiscuity. It was, it was a different type of a thing, and they really didn't want to hear any more of it, and they told him to quiet down or he would have to leave their church. And, and I said to him, Here, here's the reality, young man. The sad reality is that this is the state of our church today. And it breaks my heart to tell you this. And, and I told this young man, and even though God clearly calls you in Scripture to confess your sin to others, specifically in the church, and to lean upon the church to help you grow through those things, even though that's a clear and a glad, obedient act that you were trying to do and you should do to lead to the game-changing life that God has set before you in a lot of places and in a lot of churches, you just can't do that. Unfortunately, the people of God at large, not all, but many, they don't imitate Christ like that. And, and I'm sorry about that. And, and, and the young man, was, he was really discouraging. And he asked me, this is a true story, and he asked me if it would be possible to move to Oregon and to join Redemption City Church, perhaps, to, to be known by a people that would accept him and help him through a situation if he, if he moved there. Like, he wasn't sure. He was just kind of throwing it out there. After all, he, he really wanted to change his life. And, and you know what I told him? I said, I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know if our church is genuinely ready to handle your testimony and your story. But I told him this, tell me everything right now on the phone. Let's get this healing journey started for you. I'm going to walk with you. I want to be there for you. And if the Lord brings you and he really calls you here to RCC, man, I'm just going to be praying that RCC is going to be the place that's going to receive you with open arms. And, and folks, I really do. I didn't just tell him that on the phone. I, I really, really do want our church to be a church that stands up 
for what's right. And, and standing up for what's right, just for context, it most definitely me means that people will experience the consequences of their sin and decisions. I'm for that. I'm about that. We have to pay heavy taxes sometimes for the things we do. I'm not denying that one bit. I want to make that clear today. Please know this. Hear Pastor Brandon's heart. When we get tripped up and trapped up and when we hurt ourselves and we hurt other people, there's consequences. I get that. But folks, standing up for what's right will also mean being a genuine, Bible-believing, Christ-exalting, Christ-submitting Christian that offers second and third and tenth and fifteenth and 175th chances to people. That's also the truth in the Word of God that we have to stand up for, praise Christ. It means to be spirit-filled, fully focused on Jesus everywhere and all the time in those situations, full of hope and full of desire like our Heavenly Father stayed full of hope and desire for us. We can't forget that. we got to be full of hope and full of desire to see the worst of people redeemed. Are you tracking? That is also a truth that we are called to fight for and to stand up for, no matter how unpopular it makes us in our culture. We're the church. But as we learn so far in this series, in chapter 1 with Jonah, Jonah didn't want to be that. He didn't want to redeem the lands. He didn't want to imitate God. He didn't want to join God in that opportunity. He wanted to do it differently. He thought it was beneath him. He thought these people were worse than him. And that made his heart, folks, callous towards the Ninevites. There was nothing soft inside of Jonah's heart. So what I want to know is, what is your attitude? What is your attitude going to be towards those who, that are outside of normal living and, and they're looking in? They're, they're outside of culture. They, they're outside of what we deem as acceptable. They, they, they're outside of that. They've done bad things. They've done horrible things. Like what's your attitude going to be towards them when they are really looking into the church and they want to redeem their lives? I'm not talking about the, the murderer who doesn't care. I'm not talking about the abuser who thinks it's funny. I'm saying the one who wants redemption and they look into our church. What attitude are you going to have? Are you going to want to offer them a chance of redemption? Or are you going to rebel against them and, and your God? Do you have a genuine heart of compassion? Because Jonah didn't. But we need to. We need to. After all, aren't we called Redemption City Church? Man, in the name of Jesus, I want us to embody our name from the depths of our bones all the way out to every activity that we do in this community. Okay, so, so, so for my life, I had to examine my attitude and say, okay, okay, Brandon, what are the things that I sometimes don't stand up for when I need to stand up for truth? Like what, what will stop me from standing up for, for truth, either standing up for truth to fight for someone or to fight on behalf of someone? Like what are the things that I sometimes get trapped up in? And, and you want to know what was the first thing on my list as I just did it faithfully? Sometimes my reason that I don't stand up for truth is because of exhaustion. Oftentimes I'm, I'm so exhausted from standing alone and trying so hard to take the word of God seriously at face value and just to do what it says and to exhort what it says. Like, like when I encourage others to do the same things, uh, you know, that God's saying in the text and I receive rejection and accusations of being too controlling or overbearing or overstepping. Sometimes I grow weary. 
Sometimes I grow tired, and there's moments, it's sad to admit, it's embarrassing. Sometimes I don't stand up in a situation that I should because I'm exhausted of, of that onslaught. And, and my second reason is I was just kind of sitting in my room, had the candle on, doing my little devotion. I said, man, what's the second reason after exhaustion? What will be my next reason? That sometimes I don't stand up and do what I need to do as a Christian in general in my life. And, and, the, and the next one was selfishness. After exhaustion, the next reason would be selfishness. It's sad, folks, but, but it's true sometimes of me. Sometimes I don't want to put in the work that I know that if I really lean in to the things that God's called me to do and I stand up for it, it's going to cost me a lot. And sometimes I don't want that cost. That's, that's the, sad, the sad reality. So, so my top two reasons in that order is, is exhaustion and then selfishness. But, but, but let me t- be clear. Most definitely there are other things that are on the list. Maybe yours is not exhaustion. Maybe, maybe yours is not selfishness. So, so let's talk about some more of those ways right now that, that perhaps you may be struggling sometimes when, when you're asked to stand up and to be the Christian that God's calling you to be. Okay, so, so here's the first one. Number one, it, for you, is it, is it the fear of man? Is it the fear of man that stops you from being faithful to stand up for the things that God's calling you to do? Like, like are you constantly, constantly afraid of what this person is going re- to say about you or, or, or how that person is going to reject and, and you s- or, or are going to respond to you and you, and you so want to be a people pleaser? And, and for someone to be mad at you, it, it's just overwhelming to you. Is it the fear of man? Well, folks, the gospel truth is that we must find our refuge not in the praise or the approval of anyone, especially from this culture, but in the arms and the heart of heaven. Because woe to us if we are trembling before criticism, yet yawning, yawning before the cross and the things that God's calling us to. Okay, but maybe, maybe it's not fear of man for you. Maybe for you, it's, it's the fear of being rejected. The fear of being rejected, for you, it just, it just is a huge roadblock from, for standing up for truth and standing up for people that are far from Jesus or standing up for a victim that needs you to stand up for them. Like, like, so, like for you, it's like knowing that you speaking up and having a whole group disagree with you and then maybe shunning you and then saying, we don't want you here anymore. Is, is overwhelming for you to even imagine. But folks, the gospel truth is we have been radically accepted by the God of the universe because of Jesus in totality and with finality. So we're free from this fear of rejection. We've been accepted radically by the one who saves. It matters the most. We've got to move beyond that. Uh, per- perhaps for you, it's, it's a lack of knowledge. What does that mean, Pastor Brandon? What does a lack of knowledge mean? Maybe you don't stand up for truth in, in, in hard things or in difficult things because you don't feel smart enough. And, and you're constantly beating yourself up all the time. I, I don't know the Bible enough to, to speak up in this moment. They're, they've all been Christians longer, and something in my heart feels like how they're acting and the way they're talking about brother, sister, sister so-and-so, it isn't right, but, but I don't want to speak up. What if, I, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I don't know the Bible verse correctly? 
And so for some of us, it's a lack of knowledge, specifically biblical knowledge, but it doesn't have to be biblical knowledge. It could be any kind of knowledge. Maybe, maybe it's about something to do in the culture or, or, how, or, or something secular about a person being treated in, and, and you kind of have been a Christian for a while. And you know, like, that doesn't sound like Christ's heart, but you don't feel knowledgeable. Therefore, you shrink away and you don't stand up as a Christian for truth. But, but here's the gospel truth. God is not calling you and me to be experts of systematic theology. And God is not calling you and me to be experts of, 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 of nature and experts of anything in no real category. He's calling us to be testimony carriers of every ounce of truth of what we've experienced in our personal relationship with God and to tell people about that and to speak and call out against things that are contrary to that. That's, that's the gospel truth, and you can, you can step into that today, brother or sister, in a real way. Okay, but for you, maybe it's not lack of knowledge or fear of rejection or fear of man. For you, maybe it's shame and sin. Come on now. For some of us, it's shame and it's sin. We screwed up. We were the perpetrator. We did the wrong thing. We hurt people. We hurt ourselves. We have no right to speak up. Maybe you see things going wrong in a situation, in a group, in a setting. And every part of you, you, you want to tap out and look up and link in, and you want to be God's man. And you want to speak up, and you want to be righteous, but, but you don't feel qualified. Because if they knew what I did, if they knew what I did, they would never listen to me. But folks, the gospel truth is God has fully and finally paid for your sin and your shame on the cross. Praise Christ. Jesus paid in blood, and he atoned for it all. Brother and sister, look at me. Lean in. You are free in Jesus to stand up for what's right in Christ. When you see a vast amount of darkness, and I don't care what's in your past, I don't care. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, Jesus covered it, and in that reality, you are freed from the zip tie of the enemy of those fiery darts. And Jesus, with his blood, he's opened your mouth to speak rhema. And part of the rhema, the words of God of encouragement, is to encourage your brothers and sisters and those who are far from Jesus when you see them doing things that are not right and saying, there's a better way. You are qualified to say that message, not because of your past or your present or your future or how good you are, or how bad you are, but because of the cross. Free yourself to stand up for truth starting today. But maybe it's not shame or sin. For you, maybe... Maybe it's rebellion, right? Right? Like, like maybe you're just hostile. You're just arrogant. You just, you're, you just don't want to do things. You, I'm the boss, and I want to be in control of everything. Okay, okay, but here's the gospel truth. Things don't end well for people from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and most definitely today, who activate that kind of rebellious heart. They just don't. And that is a strong warning from the Bible. That's a strong warning from Jesus. And that's a strong warning from me as your pastor. Okay, and I know there's so much more out there that could be in the way of us standing up for truth. But, but really, 
it's now time for you to answer that question. Like, what about you? You heard me unpack a little bit about myself, but what reasons resonate most with you as a stumbling block? What's your number one, and then your number two, and then, and then your number three? Okay, so let's do a personal inventory time right now. I'm going to put this question on the screen. Let's, let's answer it. What are some reasons, um, excuse me, what are some of the reasons you find yourself not standing up for truth and sharing the truth when needed? Is it the fear of rejection, the fear of man, exhaustion, selfishness, whatever, rebellion, shame, sin? What's, what's your reason? Write down the first one right now, immediately, that comes to mind. But folks, I want to encourage you to do some more of this in your personal time with the Lord and to pray about these things and, and to remind yourself of these gospel truths. Okay, so, so but above all things, we, we really do got to remember that when God asks us to, to stand up for righteousness, it's, it's not your righteousness that he's after. It's, it's not your truth, it's his you tracking? We are not ambassadors of ourselves. We are ambassadors of God. And I know this is very weighty stuff that we're talking about, but, but here comes the good news. Kind of, I'm like, man, Pastor Brent, this is weighty. You're, you're calling me to stand up for truth and righteousness and, and to, to, to climb over my roadblocks of shame and sin and fear. I got you. I got you. This is weighty. But, but here comes some good news. Okay, folks, <laughs> this is awesome. Did you know that when Jesus sent out his disciples, that he sent them out two by two? Here's the good news. He sent them out one by one? No. Two by two. And I don't know if you knew this, but when you are teamed up with someone like-minded in Christ, you become strengthened. You become stronger than who you are on your own because it means someone got your back. It means someone's praying for you. It means someone is standing with you in those moments when you have the fear of man, the fear of rejection, sin and shame, and they're able to spur you on. Like, are you following me? <laughs> Rather, it's a spouse or a ministry partner or a friend or a mentor. If we try to stand without these people in our lives, folks, it doesn't work. But when we stand with them, oh man, we grow like redwood trees. Now, now, did you know that redwood trees are some of the largest trees in the world, yet have some of the smallest root systems when juxtaposed to the other large family of trees on our planet? And I don't know if you know this, but the only way that these super gigantic red trees are able to stand with such small root systems is that they grow in groves and their roots are intertwined together and they get their strength from the collectiveness of one another. And, and so we are also called to live and thrive and to grow like tall, powerful, victorious, armored up redwood trees. But our power, folks, comes from our roots being interconnected and intertwined by ourselves. Our root systems are small and we wither away and we die. But together, we become, we become radically, radically strong. Okay, now, now here is one of, of two ways that we should, uh, I want to talk about right now, that we should most definitely, most definitely not attempt to practice our obedience. Because that's what today's about. Jonah didn't do the right thing, but, but we've been called by, by, by God to do the right thing. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about some things we, we definitely should not do as an attempt to, to be obedient, right? Like, let's, let's not do it that way, and, and we can learn from that. So let's do that because we're going to learn and see something really important right now. Let's look at verse 3 of Jonah because this is the wrong thing to do. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. 
away from the presence of the Lord. Okay, so, so here's, here's the first one right here. You should definitely not, don't do it, attempt to practice your obedience to the Lord by going in the exact opposite direction of where, of where or what God is calling you to do. Like, like don't do that. Things will most definitely go bad for you. Now, now, do you remember when Jesus and Peter were at the Sea of Galilee? Uh, Peter looked at Jesus, and, and Jesus looked back at Peter and said to Peter, When you were younger, Peter, <laughs> you did whatever you wanted to do, and you thought it was kind of funny, you thought it was kind of cool, but it wasn't cool, and it wasn't funny at all. But, but Peter, as you get older, you're going to do things my way, and you're going to be led to do things that you m necessarily might not want to do, but that's how it's going to be, and I'm going to need you to trust me and to follow me. Okay, so, so here's what I want you to do, Peter. I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. And folks, Peter should have just said, okay, Lord, I, I'm going to do that. I'm going to follow you. I got it. I'm armored up. But, but he didn't. Instead, Peter went in the, in the exact opposite direction from what Jesus was calling him to do. Do you remember that? And, and he paid heavy, heavy prices for that decision. So, so people of God, the question remains when. When are you going to surrender and tap out and truly follow Jesus with all of your heart? Because Peter eventually got there, and so did Paul. But, but what about you? And, and what, about, what about me? By the way, do you want to know something super duper powerful about the unity of the Bible? Like, like do you want to be mind blown right now about the awesomeness of God in, in conjunction with what, I'm what we're talking about right now with Peter and Jesus and this exchange and obedience and rebellion being on trial right now? Okay, let's, let, let me show you. Let's, let's get mind blown about the, the contextual symmetry and, and the awesomeness. Let's get mind blown about this word of God. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. Okay, so Peter was living 800 years after the story of Jonah, right? Okay, just 10 years after that breakfast on the beach that Jesus and Peter had where, where Jesus says, hey, you haven't been obedient. You're not doing the right thing. You're about to do the wrong thing again. But when you get older, I'm going to call you to the right thing. Okay, okay. 10 years later, after that breakfast, when Jesus was calling him out for being rebellious, Peter would arrive in Joppa. Joppa. Do you recognize that city name? It was the same city where the story of Jonah starts off in verses 1 through 3. Oh man, folks, Peter would have known. I want you to know this. Peter would have known and been very familiar with Joppa because he would have known radically the story of Jonah. And, and while Peter, oh my goodness, and when Peter was in Joppa, are you kidding me? Peter was in Joppa. The Holy Spirit, 10 years later, comes to him and says, Peter, I'm about to use you, and I don't want you to question me. I don't want you to ask questions. I just want you to do whatever I tell you to do. Oh, man, can't you see? Ten years later, our God was giving Peter a second chance. Are you tracking? Or perhaps it was his third chance or his fifth chance or his 25th chance. I don't really know. But what I do know is that God was providing. God was providing for Peter in a big way despite his rebellion from his past. 
God was paying a costly price and was willing to offer such a response that was filled with costs for all of Peter's costly rebellion. And he was still providing Peter with another, uh, providing for Peter with another opportunity, folks. And right there from Joppa, God calls Peter not to the Ninevites like he did to, to Jonah 800 years prior, but to the Gentiles. Oh, man. And let me tell you, Peter, for Peter at that time, historically, that would have been a significant problem for Peter, just like the Ninevites were for Jonah. But this time around, oh, I want to show you what happens when we tap out. Peter must have been thinking to himself, man, I've made some crazy decisions in my youth. I've, I've truly had my share of belly of the whale moments in my life. I'm done with that. And, and I can't believe God is giving me another opportunity right in the same city as my brother in Christ Jonah had a long time ago, right here where I stand in Joppa. Well, well, I don't want to make the same decision that Jonah did. I don't want to be like that. Today, I'm going to resolve to respond differently, more redemptively, more submitted, more obedient. This time, I'm not going to delay. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do this, Holy Spirit. You, you got it, God. I'm heading to the Gentiles at Cornelius' house. And folks, I want you to know, praise Christ, Peter went gladly and without delay. And he activated his spirit-filled position. And he's obedient. And guess what happened as a result of his obedience? Game-changing results happened. That's what happened. Folks, everyone would hear the gospel that day at Cornelius' house. And everyone would be saved. Oh, man. God's ways, God's rules, God's providence, God's love for us despite our rebellion. The implications, folks, of generations of people being exposed to Christ because of Peter's decision to be obedient without delay are far-reaching. Let me show you the game-changing results. Had Peter said no or delayed, Cornelius' house, they could have left. He could have got there five days too late and those people could have left and then those people would not hear Christ and they don't tap out. Their children don't hear Christ. They don't tap out and generations after generations go to hell. But because Peter went and he went without delay, he shared the gospel. The Holy Spirit intervened. They responded and now those people are going to be in heaven forever with Jesus, praise Christ. And they taught their kids and they taught their... Do you see the game-changing results? But here's what I want you to know. God wants and wills to do the same thing in and through you, just like he did with Peter. But do you believe that? Because it's true, family. We serve a God who seeks after us and he speaks to us and he's so incredibly patient with us despite our rebellious ways. But we got to, Make a decision to follow him. Okay, now, now, here's a second way that you should definitely not, you should definitely not attempt to practice your obedience. Here, here it is. It's, it's on your screen. You should definitely not attempt to practice your obedience to the Lord by fabricating the next move 
in your own life. Like, you really... You really shouldn't do that. And, and basically, this is when you just start making things up and doing whatever you want according to what you think is right. And it doesn't matter if it's unrighteous. And you don't care what the maneuvers are. And it's all about what you desire. And you're intentional to pursue that. It's when you start financing things. Hello, let's get practical. It's when you start borrowing things and instilling things and justifying things and rationalizing things. It's when you simply resolve from your heart to do whatever it takes to get whatever you want. It's when you, <clears throat> it's when you try to seduce other people and to manipulate other people to receive it, like, like it's bad. Or, or from the opposite side, it's when you simply resolve to do whatever you need to do, whatever you need to do to get out from dealing with whatever you don't want to deal with. Folks, from both sides, this problem of fabricating your next move is problematic and it's infinitely, infinitely dangerous. And that's, that is what Jonah chose to do when he fabricated his next move. Because as soon as he made his resolve that he wasn't going to go to Nineveh, when he made that decision in his heart, I ain't going to Nineveh, and decided to go down to Joppa, guess what was waiting for him? A boat, right? We learned that. A boat was waiting for him. And, and I imagine Jonah was probably like, wow, what a great opportunity. Perhaps the Lord changed his mind after all. Look, he's clearly provided me a way out. I mean, like, what are the chances that there was a boat in Joppa waiting for me with exactly one seat left? And I have like, oh, oh look, I have $22.43. What does it cost to get on here? Uh, $23.43. Wow, that must be a sign. But folks, we've learned in the Ephesians series, right? It doesn't work that way. We, as the children of God, do not look for shooting stars and symbols in the air or in the sky. We, we lift up Christ, not astrology. We lift up God's word, not random events in our life. We have to look for kingdom-focused responses to the Lord's kingdom-focused commands. Because the reality is that God was crystal crystal clear. God's word is clear, and God was crystal clear in what he commanded Jonah to do. He said to arise, he said to go, and he said to call out. It was indisputable, it was irrefutable, and it was a clear directive. But Jonah only wanted to see what he desired to see. I'm going to say that again. Jonah only wanted to see what he desired to see in his flesh, namely a way out from what God was clearly asking him to do, away from God's explicit command. And as a result, he fabricated and manufactured a new path with a boat, told himself it was okay, and proceeded forward. And if we're not careful, folks, we're going to be just like Jonah. And oftentimes we are. We're going to be fabricating and manufacturing situations and opportunities and people to fit our own narratives to get the things that we want. Folks, it's scary, but it's true. That's why we desperately have to stay close to the Word of God. We learned that in part one of Jonah, right? Staying close to the book so we don't forget about the book and forget about what God says about these things. Because when we run away from the Lord and pursue the desires of our flesh, when we do that, there's always going to be a boat and shop waiting for us. I'm going to say it again. When we choose to actively 
and intentionally move in contrary to God's focused commands and we go in the opposite direction, folks, there's always going to be a boat in Joppa waiting for us. Guaranteed. And, and not, that's, what, that's what Satan does. He's, he shoots fiery darts like that. And, and not only will that boat in Joppa be waiting for you in your circumstance, you most definitely will be able to pull it off. You will. You will most definitely be able to finance that thing that you shouldn't get, to steal that thing that doesn't belong to you, and to keep that thing that you never should have had in the first place. But, but here's what's so sad, folks. Some people and some Christians actually take that logic and they really attribute it to God and they live that way. And that's, and that's so unfortunate. They say, they, they say things like, yeah, it was just time for me to leave my husband and to prioritize myself. Even my girlfriends are in agreement with me. They even said it's time for me to, to put myself first. I put my husband and my children first for two decades. My children are fine. They're grown now. They're in college. It's time for me to be happy. That's, that's what my friends said, and, and I think they're right. And, or, or something like, yeah, it's time for me to leave this school. It's time for me to leave this program. I mean, I, had, I have this great opportunity that's been given to me. I, I make this much money, and they're offering me 30 that automatically means God's in it. That must, that must have been God. And folks, the sad reality is so many people, particularly Christians, live their life that way. Okay? Careful, careful, because Satan will provide a way for you to temporarily escape from the ways of the Lord. But I promise you, you will not like it, and you will not end up where you want to be if you live like that. Don't do it because sin is fun initially. The Bible teaches us that. It's a rush, it's exciting, and it could be a venture of a lifetime. But eventually it becomes painfully expensive every single time, folks. And sin will always take you farther than you want to go. Sin will always take you longer than you wanted to be there. You see, God called Jonah to Nineveh. And in case you didn't know, that was about 500 miles away. It was a 500-mile journey that was going to be difficult and uncomfortable, but it was going to be mostly by land. Yet Jonah chose to go to Tarshish, and it ended up being even more difficult with a storm and, and getting swallowed by a, a, a well. And that was going to be a 2,500-mile journey. And that was going to be even more difficult by sea. That's four times the distance that even what God was even calling him to do the first time, folks. And sin will always cost you more than you actually want to pay. It'll always cost you more. Listen to me as your pastor. So when you lie to yourself saying, it's okay, I'm willing to pay and give up just, just this amount of my character to get what I want today, and I'm willing to pay and, and give up this amount of my peace so I can really avoid this interaction. And, and I just want you to know that when you act like that and you engage in those types of sins, they're going to keep you longer than you were prepared to stay, and they're going to cost you more than you're, what you're willing to pay, and you're not going to be able to negotiate a new deal. I'm trying to preach to you today. Open your minds to this because you have little to no control over the consequences of your decisions. That's why you have to radically, radically control the decisions that you make and make sure they line up according to the words of God. So, so be very careful because there's going to be a boat waiting for you and a guy waiting for you and a girl waiting for you and a job waiting for you and an escape route waiting for you and they don't belong to you. The guy's not yours. The girl's not yours. 
The career's not yours. The city's not yours. It doesn't belong to you. But if you get in a habit of minimizing things and marginalizing things and convincing yourself all the time that it's okay to skip past God and to do what you want to do, life's not going to go well for you. It's going to be so stormy all the time. Okay, let's look at verse 4 as we prepare to land the plane today. Verse 4, but the Lord, but the Lord, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break, to break up. Man, just that alone reveals a lot about our God, doesn't it? Like, do you really think you can walk away from the, like, what is your theology? Do you really think you can walk away from the Lord and he's just going to be fine with that? Because I know a lot of people who believe that, like, I'm just going to walk away from the Lord. You really believe the Lord is going to be okay and just say, okay, I guess Jonah doesn't want to doesn't want to play ball. Uh, where's Obadiah? Where's Habakkuk? I guess I have to move on. I tried my best, but Jonah won't cooperate. I got to move on to some other guys. Like, like, no way. God, God doesn't work that way, folks. Instead, God created a storm and a tempest, and he drew Jonah back to himself. And then he activated a fish that swallowed Jonah whole, and he brought Jonah where he was always going to go. So, so was God super ticked off at Jonah? Was God super ticked off, and, and because of that, he chose to be hell-bent on sending him a storm and wrath and anger? No, that's not what we see in the text. Not even close. But he was willing, he was willing to send Jonah exactly what Jonah needed in the form of a storm to get Jonah's attention. And when Jonah didn't respond to that, he activated a well to get Jonah's momentum in the right direction. And he was seeking Jonah's attention to save him, folks, not to condemn him. I'm going to say it again. The storm and the fish were not condemnation. They were the rescue plan of our Heavenly Father for Jonah and on behalf of those Ninevites and those pagan men on that boat. You see, God is not angry with you right now. Do you believe that? Like, do you really, really believe you, nobody else, you? Do you believe that God is not angry with you? Because he's not. He effectively poured out his anger on Christ. You've got to get this gospel message. Folks, the full measure of God's anger and wrath has been quenched and absorbed by the blood-bought gift of Jesus. That's why we lift up his name. The priest, the high priest in Jesus, he died for our sins and he rose again. And he is the conquering king that he is. And he went on the right hand of the Father and he's still alive today, praise Christ. And therefore, there's no more anger. Do you hear me? There's no more anger. There's no more wrath. There's no more aimed at you. So when God, oh my gosh, we're, this is legit. This is the gospel. This is the whole gospel. This is Genesis Revelations. If you get this, your life is going to change. When God creates a storm in your life and God activates a well and a fish in your story, let me be very clear. When he allows the te- these tempests and these, these storms to occur, when God sees you going down the wrong path and he intervenes with that great pressure. It's not because he's mad. It's been taken care of on the cross. It's because he's ferociously pursuing you with the intentions of rescuing you and redeeming you inside of this period, this period of patience. He will do 
whatever it takes. He will use your circumstances. He will use your finances. He will use your health. He will use your relationships. He will use your mental abilities. He will use your peace of mind or the lack thereof. He will use whatever situation and whatever person and whatever he needs to get your attention. And that is really, really good news. That is not bad news. And it's great news because God is relentless in his pursuit for you and for me. And since uh, and since most of us are really creative of finding new ways and new strategies and new escape routes away from God, praise the Lord that he's that intent on pursuing us, right? And I love the fact that our God wins every single time. May we, folks, may we not be people who choose to find out the hard way that God is the hero. May we not be a people that find out the hard way that God activates a rescue plan. May we not be people that find out the hard way that swimming against God's current isn't the best plan. But may we be a church May we be individuals. May we be lovers, lovers, lovers of who God is and what God says and and activators of of who we are in light of what God says. And and may we be spirit-filled. May we tap out of our rebellion. May we arise and go and call out to all the Ninevites in our land. May we step into the unpopular to be most popular in Christ, right? May we step into the uncomfortable to be radically united in comfortability with our Heavenly Father. May we rejoice not in people's approval, but in the heavenly hosts who rejoice over us when we follow Christ. May we be Bible-submitted Christians in our lives. I can't wait to keep tracking with you through the book of Jonah. We're, we're just getting started. Let's, let's bow our heads. Let's pray. And let's really bow our heads. And let's do this. Let's do this today. Father, as we prepare our hearts to respond, we just worship you as we study this portion of Scripture and examine our rebellious hearts in contrast to your nature. Your nature of saving the Ninevites, your nature of using and endorsing someone like Jonah despite his choice to act like a big baby in the face of a great and mighty calling. Lord, you come after us with the same force and that same desire and that same love and that same energy displayed in the story of Jonah. And and you do it so so that we would find ourselves as those who are used by you and so radically filled up with you, resulting in our joy. Okay, so, so, so if there's a man, eyes are closed, eyes are closed, heads are bowed. So if there's a man or a woman here that would just say and admit that, they're, that they've been rebellious, if there's anyone listening right now to this sermon that would just admit that rather it was because of their ignorance and they didn't know the right thing to do, or it was fear that made them flee, like whatever the reason is, whether it's a micro-rebellion or a micro-rebellious moment, if there's anyone right now today that doesn't want to be rebellious anymore, and instead wants to trust God, eyes are, bow- eyes are still closed, heads are bowed. If there's anyone who wants to believe upon God's promises and believe upon God's ways and believe upon God's word, if anyone's tired of being rebellious and they genuinely want to ask for help today, 
right now, I want you to raise your hand as an act of confession and obedience right where you're at. Wherever you're sitting, wherever you're listening to the sermon, raise your hand. Eyes are closed, heads are bowed, because I'm going to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you, sister, for taking that step and raising your hand without delay. And if you're delaying, raise your hand and tap out. I'm going to pray. Abba, Father, you see the hands that are going up right now out of the pits and out of the bellies of the wells of their situations, God. And, and discomfort, Lord, is what they're probably feeling right now. So, so I pray, God, that you would begin to make their lives fruitful and that you would begin to make even their enemies be at peace with them and that you would begin to fill them with joy that overwhelms their discomfort, Lord, as they step towards you. And, and even now as they tap out and they say they don't want to be rebels anymore, may you already start to form a real physical smile on their face and may joy be theirs. Lord, may you be glorified as more and more and more of your children choose you over costly rebellion, over costly lies, over costly sin, and over costly temptation, and over their flesh. We choose you because you're better, and you're grander, and you're right. May we always remember that and help us in the areas where we have unbelief. It's because of your beautiful name that we pray.